Every band that becomes a name band, a band that graduates into a headliner with the ability to tour beyond their own backyard, have experienced a period where they were what is known as a buzz band, the hottest, the coolest, the band on the scene everyone wants a piece of. Now, if they can ride the wave of tastemaker cool and be resilient enough to withstand the inevitable backlash that always follows this period, then the band can slowly but surely grow into a highly revered act. And this is what Sepultura has become, a very reliable, tenured wellspring of crushing heavy metal. But to understand the Sepultura phenomenon and their beloved longevity, one must remember those early years when the band were only starting to become a known entity in North America. I became aware of them by reading all the metal magazines who proclaimed them the second coming of Metallica and Slayer combined. What made them even more special was that they were from faraway Brazil, not exactly the place known for churning out explosive metallic fury at the time. Of course, the path that Sepultura blazed has since laid the groundwork for some incredible heavy Brazilian music like Christian, Angra, and Rats de Pora. But it should be noted that I have yet to see a buzz on a band in the metal scene that even comes close to the fever that Sepultura garnered when they broke. The excitement was palatable, and when they finally hit my ears with their third album Beneath the Remains, I was hooked almost by the second note. Even to this day, I rank Beneath the Remains as one of the greatest metal albums ever released. But what permanently indentured the band to my psyche came on the eve of my 18th birthday, when I went to see Sepultura play in Toronto. It was a momentous occasion. To me, this was a rite of passage into adulthood, and I couldn't think of a better band to spend it with than Sepultura. As the band hit the stage, the clock struck 12, and I sailed into adulthood just as Max Cavalera yelled out, Toronto! DESTROY! During the 90s, my interest in metal as a whole waned. I wasn't alone in this. A lot of metal bands released albums that sounded more like hard rock than anything metal. Surely, a reaction to the grunge fallout that we've discussed before on this podcast. Check out episode number 20 with Sam Dunn. But through it all, and to their credit, Sepultura never wavered. In fact, they arguably released even stronger albums like Chaos AD and Roots, almost buoyed by the spurn. In 2003, we were booked on a Jack Daniels-sponsored tour that had Electric Eelshock, Flaming Sideburns, Our Band, and, you guessed it, Sepultura as headliner. I was very excited to not only reconnect with a band that played a huge part in my fandom for heavy music, but to go on tour with them? It was a distinct honor. Of course, the Sepultura of 2003 was now very different from the Sepultura of Beneath the Remains, Chaos AD, and Roots. Namely, founding lead singer-guitarist Max Cavalera had left, only to be replaced with Cleveland native Derek Green. The whole metal community was skeptical that someone, anyone, could fill the vacancy left by Max. But nobody banked on Green meeting the challenge head-on and filling the big shoes needed to not only take over from Max, but 
become his prized successor. Now with seven albums under his belt with Sepultura, albums like Dante 21, Alex, and their newest album with a very long name, The Mediator Between Head and Hands Must Be the Heart, all of them, all the albums, all joust for top spot in the Sepultura discography. It's easy to hear, Derek Green is a metallic machine. It was on this 2003 Jack Daniels tour that I was given a radio show on Rocket FM in Stockholm, the rock home of Stockholm, and one of my first features was what I dubbed the Singer's Clinic, where I would talk to other singers in other bands about singing techniques, etc., etc. Derek was my very first guest, and since I've been doing this podcast, I've always wanted to have him back on. A few weeks ago, we were both playing the Metal Hammer Paradise Festival in Germany, so it seemed appropriate that we meet, catch up, reminisce, and see where it takes us. I must make mention that this was the morning after the Paris attacks. It was very fresh in everyone's mind. Derek and I discussed the previous night's events, but since not all the news from Paris had filtered over just yet, and we were still somewhat in the dark about the whole thing, we both decided that it would be best to leave discussions about Paris off the podcast, especially since I record episodes weeks in advance, and anything we discuss would be old news or maybe even incorrect by the time we uploaded our talk together. Also, I wanted to make mention here that Sammy Siegler gets brought up, and at the time I couldn't remember the name of the band Sammy was in when we toured with them back in 2005. Well, that band was Nightmare of You from Long Island, New York. And how you doing, Sammy, if you're out there listening? Thanks to everyone who has taken time to tweet that they listen to the podcast or left a rating or a review on iTunes. I really appreciate it. Thanks to Blue Mic Microphones and Skull Candy Headphones for supporting the podcast. Thanks to Chino Loco's Restaurants for making fish burritos stuffed with chow mein noodles. I hope you dig this episode. It's with one of the nicest guys you'll meet with one of the heaviest voices in metal. Derek Green from Sepultura is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. They play the kid as Danko's crew will tell them for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from Fuck Dome. Stop playing Hang Dome. How do you see in my future? What are you reading in bones? She paused for a while, flashing alligator smile, and she told me Danko. gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready, because the Danko Jones Podcast starts Hey Derek, how you doing man? Good. You have the uh, distinction in my head, in my mind, of being the very first person that I did this kind of thing with because way back in 03 when we were touring together mm-hmm. in Germany you were my first guest on my radio show right so the singers clinic you were the right. first singer that I spoke to I so so I, I every time I think of Derek Green I don't think of Sepultura I think right. of like 
the first guest right. on my on my radio show. Awesome. Yeah, um, and and uh, uh, so I was really looking forward, and you know for, from the messages and emails mm-hmm. that uh, I've been trying to get you on this podcast, and uh, you know, not to pick up where we la- left off in 2003, mm-hmm. but uh, we did this whole tour, and you know, I'd known about you from I think it was the Roarback album. Mm-hmm. So for up until then, that's all I'd known of you. Right, and. The last show, we had this kind of after-tour party in some sort of communal room in mm-hmm. the venue. And I walked in the room with a Youth of Today shirt. Right. And then you were like, Youth of Today? What the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, no, fuck. I didn't, I didn't know this about you. So you've got some serious hardcore roots. No, absolutely. I mean, some of the first shows, I mean, that I went to were hardcore shows. I started going to shows. I think one of the first shows I went to was... Maybe David Lee Roth when he just left and you know it was solo and it was like um, who was playing guitar uh, Steve Vai and it was amazing and I think Rat maybe even opened up and I mean as a kid I was like this is incredible but really going to my first hardcore show really changed my whole life because I knew then I was like okay I'm definitely want to do this style of music Um, the one of the first shows I saw was Chromax and Age of Coral tour, their first album, and and it was it was intense. You know, I had never seen anything like it. As far as the reaction of the crowd, um, the the control that they had over, as far as the communication they had between the, the audience was something I'd never seen before. And so this fascinated me, you know, and the fact that they were straight, at least part of them were, and uh, and they were vegetarians. I thought that was just like even more intriguing. And they had books at their shows, and I was just like. My there's so many books here it's like this is something you know like a nerd haven you know it's like this is amazing you know and i really got into it and uh they also look tough they were tough Tough i mean they were really badasses you know i was like that was i mean all those aspects were so uh, appealing to me i mean they were just like tight on stage you know confident you know really tough like the lyrics were about living on the streets their day-to-day life you know, it was believable, and it just hit really, really hard, and they were, had topics they were writing about that were really serious, and I was 14, you know, it's just like, wow, you know, they really made me look at the world in a different way, and then, um, it just, I mean, my parents never drank at home, um, never smoked or anything like that, so for me and my house, we never had alcohol or anything like that in the holidays or any time, and, um, so it was, there were a lot of kids in my school getting completely wasted all the time. Their parents had huge liquor cabinets, and they'd have big parties, and everyone getting wasted. But I loved going to shows. I loved skating, and I really wasn't into that scene of getting uh, screwed up or fucked up. So I really gravitated towards that straight edge scene, and also became friends with those guys at the same time that it was really popular to me. I mean, this was in the mid '80s. Um, these bands were passing through Cleveland. And uh, it just really connected with all these friends. And I'm still friends with all those guys from, like, New York and and, uh, and those different bands. And it's great to see them now and um, just have those fond memories, you know. But it really was something uh, significant to me, you know, at the time as far as just, you know, I, I, I wasn't really, like, putting X's in my hands and things like that. But I was really into the idea of it, you know, and the energy behind that scene was something that was really, again, very honest, 
very uh, in-your-face, uh, just a lot of attitude, you know. It was something um, I wasn't used to seeing at shows, and it and it was different from that whole uh, preconception of what people had of heavy music. Yeah, um, another thing about the Chromags that hit me as well is that they were Krishna. Yeah. And that was a new thing in music that I'd never even heard bands doing. No, absolutely. Um, and and also back then, like mid '80s, like yeah. you're saying, they had more tattoos than some people have now. Right. So. No, absolutely. I mean, that was definitely something I was really intrigued by the fact that they were into uh, the Krishna religion, and I, and I like I said, I bought those books and I was reading about it. I became really intrigued about the religion and the vegetarianism. You know, was all connected. And uh, once I moved to New York. It was just coincidence. I became friends with John Joseph, like really good friends. So we're just like hanging out, you know, listening to him talk about, you know, like stuff from back in the day or just how shit was and how shit is and just his philosophy, you know. And um, I was working in bars and stuff like that, working the door. And he's just like, it was it's just really in incredible that I became really good friends with him and, you know, inviting me for like, Christmas or Thanksgiving dinners and him preparing the dinners, you know, he's oh, wow. like That's an excellent cook He's an incredible cook because he would be cooking at the temple for uh, Giving out food to people in the yeah. park. So, uh, you know, it was just like, you know I just never imagined myself like being in that position, you know, as far as being friends with him and um, Just being introduced to a, a whole different world of, you know, just moving to New York and really kind of figuring out the scene and uh, it was great, you know, we're still friends, and um, he's still, you know, hardcore as ever, you know. Have you, have you read his book, Meat is for Pussies? <laughs> yes. Actually, um, while he was writing it, and, and a few books that he's written, you know, he'd always give, give me and another friend some notes to check out and stuff, and it was, like, really, really, really intense, you know, um, especially his growing up. Um, a lot of stuff, I mean, we talked about, but there was stuff in the book that um, I never talked about. You know, it's just really interesting to hear, you know, and, and read all that stuff. JC, our, uh, JC and our band, our bass player, he's a huge John Joseph fan. Mm -hmm. He's read the book. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, he'll come in and go, yeah, uh, John Joseph just uh, liked my uh, Twitter and <laughs> <laughs> favorited my Twitter. <laughs> you know, it's like on that right. level. And I saw, I, and I follow John Joseph too on, right. on Twitter and Facebook. Mm -hmm. And he recently posted this pic, uh, How to Turn Vegan in Four and a Half Hours. You mm. watch these three documentaries. Mm. I haven't watched it yet. Right, right. Because <laughs> I'm too scared to. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, no, I know. Like the truth. And <laughs> yeah. But are you, are you still vegetarian? I'm still vegetarian, yeah. And I, I think I'm probably eventually like make that move to vegan again because i was a vegan oh, at one time and uh yeah especially the time when i was hanging out with him and uh but i i mean i honestly never felt better in my life i can't really lie about that you know it was really uh it really had an impact you know as far as physically and mentally it really affected me in those ways uh extremely um but uh, we'll see, you know, it's like I, I, I've i always been a vegetarian since I was 14, 15, and I definitely always... Before hardcore or because of hardcore? Well, I think it was a mixture of both. I mean, I was reading 
in school, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, and that was about the whole meat industry um, that was happening in, in you know, the Industrial Revolution. And uh, I think it was an impact of those friends and going to shows all happened at the same time. It's like, you know what? I'm going to try this. This is something I've never tried, this lifestyle, um, this way of eating. I've always thought in one direction because I was taught that way. And I wanted to step outside and see, is there really a difference, you know, when you do this? And I did it, you know, like as a, just to see, because I loved meat when I eat meat. I mean, it was just like every day, you know, it's just like, I will die if I do not have a source of meat. I was that type of meat lover. And, you know, I was like ribs, you know, on, on the weekend, you know, or, you know, my parents are just... You know, my father grew up in the South, and uh, and so he was also a cook, and um, so it was kind of shocking, I think, to them. Yeah, not right. not so shocking, but they were just like, okay, like, you know, we'll make this without meat, you know. But I mean, after a few months, I really got used to it. It really was um, kind of like a detox. I started craving it, you know. I'd smell it, my mouth would start to water. You know, I was really conditioned to eat meat, and it was really. A lot of the stuff that the meat I was eating was not very good, but it was, you know, meat that I was getting in a supermarket. I just didn't know any better, you know, and that was the whole thing. I just didn't know. And so eventually once my body got rid of all that, then the craving and everything really stopped. And yeah. Yeah. You don't feel it like, for example, catering today, if they're going to whip up something crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have those still? No, not, not at all. Honestly, I, I don't. I mean, just because I know a little bit more about where it's coming from, and it's gotten worse since, yeah. I mean, the industry is just, like, ridiculous. Now it's just God knows what they're doing to it. Or actually, they do know what they're doing to it, but um, I definitely don't feel that way at all. I mean, before I was, like, really like, hmm, that would be nice. But I forgot, you know, the taste you know, everything about it. I mean, it was really, I've been, you know, a vegetarian longer than I have a meat eater. And so I kind of, so it's, you know, those things fade, you know, your memory and things like that can fade as well. You know, they change, you know, necessarily fade, but you have a different perception of what it was. And and that's what I have now. Well, listen, like, I mean, you know, hanging out with, you know, hardcore guys who are vegetarian and vegan, <clears throat> made it easier yeah yeah well i was gonna say like you know I, i'm a meat eater right and i've had passing thoughts of going vegetarian mm-hmm. but like you got not to take away from your strength okay. and your tenacity right. but wouldn't you say hanging out with the coolest fucking vegetarian john joseph <laughs> did help you like you know what i mean like yeah, I would, I mean, whatever I, john would say i do i mean i was already a vegetarian before i met him right and uh when I started living in New York, I mean, I was just being introduced to a whole nother world of like, you know, the juices and the, you know, he's really into juicing and the machine that's juicing it and, and the whole workout, you know, I was doing, it was like really training a lot. And, uh, and, and then when I look at like, and, and remember how I was feeling and look at like, damn, like people are just like, wow, like, what are you on? It's just like, I'm on life, man, I'm on life, you know, like, it was so pumped up, like, and I would look around, I just, it was like a weird, because I worked in the night, and I also worked in the day, I had two jobs, I worked for Russell Simmons at Fat Farm, and uh, as a, (laughs) it was crazy, as assistant manager at his clothing store in Soho, 
and and I worked at a no-till motel, like a dirty like dive bar in the East Village. And uh, I would just see people like zombies at the end of the night, you know? Yeah. And I was just like, wow, this is, people are just like living in this complete illusion. And I was just like, I don't want to be there. You know, I don't want to be that walking dead, you know? But, um, I mean, I was never into preaching to other people. Yeah, same here. And, 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 I, and I think people need to make that decision on their own. Yeah. For me, I just, I found that there are a lot of people become really aggressive towards me because I am a vegetarian, which I thought was kind of funny. You know, like, why don't you eat me? Like, what's wrong with you? You know, and getting attacked. I'm like, hey, man, I don't criticize anything that you're eating or what you're going to eat. You know, so just give me the respect that, you know, I need to do what I love to do. That's, that's an interesting reaction because... Uh because when I t when people find out that I'm I don't drink I, I don't call myself straight edge right. I've broken edge over the years right. you know but I come back I don't know if I'm allowed back in the fold after you break edge yes you are <laughs> but uh, you know when people find out I don't drink or, or do drugs they're like they they go I respect that I respect that and I I feel like telling them like I, honestly it there was no hurdle I had to jump over right. it was so easy to do it right. like I feel like. You're giving me more credit than right. I deserve, you know. And that's an interesting reaction. But meat and, and food is, has, there's nothing toxic about, you know, going vegetarian or, you yeah. know what I mean? The, okay, but it's, it's interesting. an interesting reaction. But it, I get it a lot. Like, people just really get, like, you know, what does this guy think he is, you know? Like, what is he trying to prove, you know? And, and I don't know. All of a sudden, they become really knowledgeable in their meat-eating ways. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I was like, come on. Let's not go there. If we get into a whole discussion about it, trust me, it's like I will destroy you in a battle of whatever knowledge you have about meat eating because I didn't know anything when I did eat meat. And that was something I can admit, like how much protein do you need in a day? And I was like, I don't know. Most people don't know. You know, it's because it's, I mean, it's just like all those different things. I don't want to get in an argument about what I eat. You know, it's my body. And I'm not going to sit there and watch people at McDonald's and be like, you're, you know, you're destroying your bodies. You know, like, stop it. I'm, I'm sitting there with Jim. Put that burger down. I'm sitting there with Big Mac going, is that dairy? <laughs> <laughs> Megaphone, you know, but yeah, I, it's, it's strange. Well, I'm in a band with two guys who are like, super healthy super right. fitness i mean i don't live crazy but they make me feel like i'm fucking you know, david lee roth and and, and i'm living the, you know like just because i ate a hamburger yesterday i feel like i'm like you know like alice cooper circa 74 or something you know well i'll tell you something i mean it's difficult because when you're hitting on those points of what people eat you know, it's their livelihood, you know, and, and, and food, you know. And, I mean, it's hard for people to change that. It's almost impossible to get people to change it, especially as they get older. They're just set in their ways, and there's no turning back, unfortunately, for some. And, uh, I, I mean, it's hard for people to really recognize that truth of certain things, especially the things that they desire and love, you know, and they're addicted to, you know. I mean, you see money has this effect on people as like this greed, you know, anything that it's really touching most of the time just ends up dissolving and destroying it in some horrible way. I, I think it's hard for people to change away. I mean, since this everything is devised on money as system, you know, people, it's hard for people to turn away from that. Like, I will, you know, I need, you know, people need money, of course, but 
it's just like desire, you know, that, that drive. It's something that's like really embedded in people. So it's hard for people to really change their ways. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of truth with the, I mean, there's, you're able to get a lot of truth now about what the industry and what it's doing and, you know, about that hamburger or whatever. Um, but it, it, it's hard because there's people that don't want to, they don't want to hear it, you know, and they don't want to put it out there because it's, it's too much, you know, it's like too much for people to want to hear. And they're like, no, I don't, let me just live in this, you know, <laughs> like, let me have a little bit of, you know, uh, a love of this, you know, but I, I mean, I honestly believe that people can change. I just, I, I think it's important for people to just have a choice and to have these different options and to be knowledgeable about really what's going on. So that's all. Well, even my friends, you know, my friends, you know, a lot of them were vegetarian. Like before, when I when I left high school and I went to university, I met all these super cool people who were vegetarian, and that really played with my head. I'm like, really, you guys just eat broccoli and this soy cake and that's you're happy with that like you know what I mean and then I it made me more comfortable with you know eating just vegetables right. and up till then I was just like so what is it is it going to be tomorrow or Burger King today right, which right. you know yeah, so that was me too I mean it was I mean like I said you can be taught your body can be manipulated into eating whatever yeah. you know and desire certain things it can be healthy. It can be shitty. You know, it can your you know your body can be, it's it can do these things. You know, it can live in uh, in the worst circumstances and the best. You know, it's it's up to you. You know, so you know it's it's believable. You know, people can you know not have the de desires anymore um, and desire other things. You know, I desire like really good juice all the time like if i have like really shitty juice for example if i come to the states and it's like concentrated like crap i can't drink that anymore it just doesn't taste the same oh i mean like all that changed my whole perception of like fruits and everything like shitty fruits i'm like oh god like i don't know i became like a fruit snob i guess <laughs> i mean being in brazil you know it tastes different because um it's definitely fresher there and people don't drink crappy juice i mean when it's like you go to any place a corner place it's like what are you having i have a juice and they're like you know in the back you know squeezing it out you know i have a watermelon juice it's like all right you know like a full watermelon you're getting the seeds in there and everything and it's like fresh and then to come and drink like something it's like filled with like artificial sugar in a box you're not it's, talking about jamba juice are you no 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 but i mean it just it you wouldn't drink that I have, but it just doesn't taste good to me. You know, it, I don't really like it so much. So what do you do? You just drink water when you're on the road? I drink water, and then, I mean, I, I'm on the road for a certain amount of time, so we do have fruits. I'm not saying that I don't eat them. I'm just saying just taste extremely different. Sometimes it's just unbearable. I'm like, ah, this is crap, you know. I brought up I brought up my Youth of Today shirt uh, because because <laughs> no no um, because uh, we went on tour with Sammy yes Seagull, um, with uh, International Seagull. Noise Conspiracy and now I cannot remember his band but I'll put it in the intro but he was drumming for this other band in Roller Biscuits no 
No, it wasn't those two okay. huge bands. It was like a smaller band. And I didn't know it was Sammy until like a week into the tour. Oh, wow. No way. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, and someone, I think one of the noise conspiracy guys right. told me, like, he used to be in Youth of Today. I'm God, like, what? Forever. I mean, he lost his virginity at my parents' house. I'll just put it that way. That's <laughs> I said it, Sam. <laughs> well, it was like he was drumming for this band, and you know, I there's they they were like um, I don't know what you'd call it, like a, a, a like an alternative band, yeah. right? They weren't yeah. they weren't a punk rock hardcore right. band, but of course, the Noise Conspiracy guys probably brought them out because of Sammy's history mm-hmm. and their connection with Sammy that way. And so I think it was like Dennis was just like one day he's like you know Sammy was in Youth of Today and this is a week into the tour you tell me this now I've just been giving the guy like yeah hey what's up hey morning hey right. how you doing and then when he told me that I'm like dude yeah. sit down <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and uh, uh, and then I then you were in a band with him I didn't know that or yeah yeah I was I was right before uh, yeah when I moved to New York like we had a band together. Um, and it was great. I mean, it, like I said, that everyone, you know, we're all musicians, so it's like, ah, you're gonna play drums in my band, and that. Um, but it's great, you know. It's like a lot of fun, man. He's a great drummer. He's played in so many different styles of, uh, of different bands and so many different styles of music, and uh, he, he's still, you know, like, you know, killing it. Yeah, like I was just like, you like, hey, dude, you know, I hate to turn it on when I find out you're like somebody, and now I'm like paying attention to you. But I mean, you know, but I was like, I said all that, right. and then I'm like, look, I didn't mean to like, you know, I don't know you, right. you know, and you're just this guy named Sam. Right. But now I find out that you played on a record that had a real big part of my 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 teenage years, but I couldn't recognize him because right. on the back of we're not in this alone he looks like he's 11 years old yeah he's about that age <laughs> yeah like so but he was real cool and, yeah. and i think he's like you know all the other guys in the band were kind of like oh now you're turning it on guy now you want to talk to us <laughs> oh yeah i hate to be one of those dudes but you know like you know it's it's incredible because i mean all those guys are are, are so cool you know like hanging out with them like they came to the Sao Paulo actually it was like Gorilla Biscuits um Judge and Siv and uh they all came and played like the same like in two days and uh it was great just hanging out with everyone again and I mean it was almost like a lot of things just hadn't really changed and just the attitude of everyone was just so really still very positive you know um people very very cool yeah, like I think that's the underlying thing when you have a a, a background in punk rock mm-hmm. is that it does ground you in yeah, a way absolutely. because of all the sort of in in interscene policing that everyone does on each other. Mm-hmm. You can't get away with with shitty behavior. Right, right. Although there are some really nut jobs in the scene right. as we all probably <laughs> have experienced, but it does like a lot of the times when you know, you meet somebody who's not really doing punk rock mm-hmm. directly anymore. They've kind of grown up. They've sprouted wings. The one thing I really uh, recognize is that, oh, you've got a history in punk rock. Oh, that's why you're like a little cooler, like a little more grounded and mm-hmm. cooler than, you know, some of your peers. And, mm-hmm. and when I found out that you had this 
kind of background at the end of the tour we had done right. I was like oh okay so that's why mm-hmm. like maybe Derek's mm-hmm. you know l- you know coming into this to this post and being in this huge band you're not like like some other bands in the scene where they're all cool everyone's right. cool but there's an there's a, an aloofness about them right. you know I mean it's interesting that you say that because they're there are people I met. I'm like, wow. I, I thought the same thing. Like, I find out, like, oh, they were going to shows. No, no, no. I think at that time, like, going to shows and being in the scene, and for me, really uh, wanting to be a musician for a reason other than money and like girls and drugs. You know, I, I wanted to do music because I really truly enjoyed it, and that was just something about the scene. It was there was no. Uh, super fame or success you know coming from it's like something i just love to do with my friends and to meet other people that enjoyed that scene um and that's what made it i think very pure and people very grounded you know it's like there were no selfies or autographs or anything like that it was like i didn't even want any of that you know i wanted to just play you know on stage in front of people and just have see that reaction you know at that communication and um yeah, that was it. You know, I was I was content with that. You know, what it was never thinking like we're gonna be huge and it didn't none of that stuff really mattered. But you know, a consequence of just staying, you know, wanting you know continuing doing music. You know, it's it's come to a, a bigger level. You know, and how are you? You know, bridging that gap from you know the younger you in the in the hardcore scene to now being, you know in a really really big known star band mm-hmm. is there some sort of bridge that you had to cross inside you you know what I mean like right. in, in you to go yeah I'm gonna I'm okay with signing this guys yeah I mean it was a little weird sponsor event, but that's you know it's cool I mean the whole yeah the whole I mean that was a little bit weird for me at first especially on top of that like moving to a different country you know different language different culture not really understanding what was going on uh, a lot of the times, but just trying to figure it out as an adult. You know, so it was just really uh, bizarre um, for a couple of years, like living in Sao Paulo in Brazil. Uh, but I kind of figured it out once I started to meet people who weren't necessarily into metal music or anything or that scene. Um, people were just naturally like me for who I was didn't know anything about my background they were just really having that connection and then having that grounding and then I started to have a better uh, feeling of, of signing stuff and being out because there it's very recognizable you know everyone in the band and they really know it so it's a different thing to walk out and have people honking their horns and want to take photos in the supermarket or in the bank or it doesn't matter what age or whatever signing stuff um especially when you're with friends and, and family and you want to spend that time and then somebody just kind of breaks in. I just developed, you know, this patience there from being in Brazil. Um, people are really, really sweet, very kind. And uh, I just, being there after so many years, I just kind of like brought myself down to like, hey, just, you know, these people really enjoy what you do. Um, they respect you. Um, I just need to take a step back and just take a breather and just, Kind of remember when I was at that young age, and I'm uh, I just remember freaking out, like being at shows, like oh my god, you know, and and just kind of keep that in place, you know, like hey, you know, they're a real fan of music, you know, it's it's incredible to always see that, 
You know, I love that. You know, it's really um, something that I still feel I'm a fan as well. You know, I never want to lose that. No, that's cool. Yeah, I, I always, I always uh, uh, want to know when, mm-hmm. when people have that background. And, and uh, uh, Damien Abraham from Fucked Up, mm. the singer of Fucked Up, he has a, a podcast and he talks to people who are not necessarily in the punk rock scene anymore, but have a punk rock background and, mm-hmm. and just go, goes through that as well. So mm-hmm. Damien should talk to you, man. Yeah, I, I never met him, I don't, I don't believe. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you guys will definitely get along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's an interesting, an interesting podcast, especially right. when you get someone who you never even knew had a punk rock background, right. and then they're just talking about all this stuff. Yeah, I think wow. it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Definitely. Now, uh, getting back to now, yeah, a days. Uh, you, I'm a huge fan of the DVD ASA podcast. I don't know if you're aware of that no. David Cho's podcast. Yes, David. Yeah, oh, yeah, and and so. <laughs> I I've listened to every episode. I've bought the merch from the podcast. Wow. Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan. And then when they started talking about you on one of the episodes, my yes. ears pricked up. I'm like, should I email Derek now? And, 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 and I'm like a huge DVD ASA fan. So so what, what, so you're in Maximum Headroom, yeah, and right. that has is it a connection with Heather Leather or or Mar, uh, Money Mark? What's Money Mark actually you? okay wow um, Money Mark is really good friends with Sam Spiegel and and that's who I do Maximum Headroom with okay. and Sam Spiegel brought in Money Mark because they're friends and as far as just coming by the house like hey and Money Mark will just start hitting instruments and just contribute yeah. that's he's just like a very active person right. it's just like insane and I love that energy. And, uh, and that's how Sam kind of works, just like friends stop over and it's like, oh, I'm working on this track. Oh, you'd be cool if you if you hear something, you want to do something. It's like, yeah, oh, wait, I got an idea and start hammering away or whatever idea. And so that's how he knows Money Mark and he's worked with Money Mark on NASA, which is what Sam has this other group called NASA, North America, South America. Oh, and, wow. And so it's, and that's, he's worked with a million different artists um, with that, it took like maybe five years to do the actual album. It's just collaborating, putting certain people together. Like, for example, he had something with um, David Byrne, Talking Heads with Chuck D. And he's like, I think you guys would be great, you know, this song and wrote a song. And Shepard Ferry did like the the illustration for the the oh, wow. video. Incredible matching like... Um, people. Yeah, like really, oh. like it was like Tom Waits with... Uh, was it with cool keith from it was <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was like really 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 oh, wow. really awesome like and and so with maximum headroom we didn't have as many collaborations but we did so money mark uh contributed some parts of it george clinton from parliament funk he sang on one song that we did together I did the chorus, he did the, the or he did the chorus, I did the verse. Oh my god, and, uh, how heavy is that? Yeah. It's, it's you were pre- all in the same studio together? No, actually, I recorded my part in Brazil, and George did his in, in L.A. Oh, at Sam's wow. studio. And then we had uh, Harold Faltemeyer, who's like oh. the master of soundtracks from the 80s. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote Axel, Axel F. F. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he wrote a lot of the songs also together with us composing the songs. Oh so, my God, yeah. that's heavy. 
heavy, man. He's heavy, man. That's he wrote like Midnight Express. Boom, 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 boom. Like he wrote, you know, the Top Gun soundtrack he worked on, and Fletch, and all all these like crazy '80s movies, and it was great working with him and. And have I mean we had like crazy ideas because with Maximum Headroom there was no limits as far as ideas it was just there was no fan base or you weren't trying to appeal like you're like okay let's just write what comes out and so with Harold we're like hey we need like an orchestra and he's like I think we can get like the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra to do stuff because they worked in different films of mine and so we're there in Prague you know and oh. and you know like. Doc, you know, we have all this like document and everything, but anyway, yeah, Maximum Headroom, we're on tour with Yeah, Yeah, Yes, and opening for them. And because Sam, he's also worked with uh, Karen O and really good friends with Nick, the guitarist. And um, how we met David was at the border of Canada and the US, and they had uh, David uh, Troy. Uh, oh, David Cho, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's how we met each other. <laughs> at, at the border going into Canada, they weren't going to let him in. Oh, right, of course They were not. stopping everyone in our crew and yeah. band. And I was like, God. And I was the only one. They were like, all right, Mr. Green. It's like, a lot of your friends are hooligans, man. Like, who are these people you're hanging out with? <laughs> Eventually, they let everybody in, even David. <laughs> David hates Canada. I know. And he was saying it there while we were there. I was like, oh, and it was funny because I just added him on Instagram. I was like, ah. And then we got there and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, wow. Because he's an incredible artist. And, uh, and I, was, I asked him. And he, we gave him a ride. He was filming like uh, hitchhiking. That, across, that Vice yeah. show he had. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So he came to our show. They were like the, I think it was Can- Canadian Day that we actually played. And they were like the international, like Canadian hug ambassadors at our show, like in the audience hugging people, and uh, and since then we became friends, you know. Was... Yeah, well, he did the artwork for Asa Akira's uh, book, the cover. Oh, book. really? Wow. Yeah, it's called. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but she wrote a book. Uh huh. Asa Akira from Adult Movies. Yes. Yeah, he's um, really good. <laughs> yes, yeah, they do the podcast. Too, yeah. So yes. David and Asa. Uh, she wrote a book while they were doing the DVD, uh, while they were doing the podcast, mm-hmm. and he, he did the artwork for it. Wow. The, the episode I heard where your name came up, Asa, I think she said something like, give Derek my number or something. Right, yeah. Because so, my friend Sam was like, we should do some crazy stuff. Yeah, like Asa was just like, yeah, like, hey, you know, Derek. And I'm like, whoa, Derek. She's sitting on Derek the podcast. is amazing. Derek is the man. Derek is the man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, oh my god. Derek is a fucking man. <laughs> I swear, I, I, I remember that episode. There's like, I mean, 300 episodes. I can't remember all of them, oh, but I remember man. that one. That's hilarious, yeah. man. But yeah, so. He's I, a trip. He was just in Brazil just in case and I you missed didn't him. hear that episode. I, I <laughs> didn't, but I know my friend Sam was like pushing it, like, yeah, we need some drama going on. Like, and I was like. <laughs> It's like, oh man. Oh my god. <laughs> she's awesome. I love right. Asa. Like she's a perfect fit for the podcast and right. she's really likable on, on the on the mic and mm-hmm. I you know, I didn't know that she was bubbling with this amazing personality. Right. That really was, was And you've met out. him before, right? I've never met I've never met David Cho, but you know, I um I totally want to. But right. I 
I know like a lot of the people he knows because of Vice, yeah. okay. and Vice is Canadian. Yeah, which is why I don't understand why he hates Canadians so much because he works with a lot of them. I think it just has to do with his youth. I don't know. That's where stuff happened there. I guess where he was. I don't know. Doing some graffiti. Oh. I, I don't know. I, he invited us to be on there, and I was oh, like, oh my man. God. If that was me, I would have fucking... Guys, we got to cancel this show. Right, I, right. <laughs> I know. I was really bummed out, you know, but it was... We were so busy at that time, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, they don't do it anymore. No. I was on Instagram, like, uploading pictures, tagging all of them, going, what's going on? Right, right. Why isn't the show uh, still on? Mm -hmm. like, but no response. Right. But anyway. I, I mean... We could talk about Sepultura, but you do that enough in all the interviews. <laughs> no, whatever, you, whatever you... And I, you know that I'm a huge fan. Mm -hmm. Whatever. You know? Whatever about your band. Yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> okay, I will ask you. <laughs> what can we expect from the show tonight? <laughs> Which is my favorite question. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm using in-ears now, and it's a whole different world for me now. <laughs> that question drives me up the wall. Yeah. What can we expect from the show? Like, what do you expect? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to start the podcast with that question oh with God, you. Like, Can you? The door is right there. <laughs> this is really awesome. But this is awesome, man. Thank Great, you so man. much. Yeah. This is awesome. It took a while to get this. No, but thanks for having me, man. Thanks yeah. for being persistent. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, when I, when I wanted you on. But I wanted to be on it, too, so it's it was mutual. But it's, it's great. Great to have you on. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks again. Thanks, Derek. <laughs> Oh, perfect time. Yeah. I've been an overwinter here. If double bed runs amongst the lost, it's the fiction of life. What you are is what you learn. It never made a fucking difference to you. In the eyes, you can see the truth.